Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So I grew up in a Scandinavian home, and um, my dad was uh, Danish. My dad is still Danish. Um, <laughs> my mom's Swedish. And, um, and if you know anything about Scandinavians, they are, tend to be known as rather stoic people. Not a lot of expression, not a lot of words. What we do have is food, okay? Food is the love language of Danes. It, it really is. And I, some of my fondest memories as a kid growing up was all of us gathered around grandma's dining room table. And, and everybody had their place, and everybody sat in their place. And it wasn't a big dining room, but somehow we all squeezed in around that. And, and dinner at Grandma's house was just, like, incredible because she made more than enough food. In fact, she would, she would all, never, ever did you have meal at her house that didn't have at least two different meats, okay? It was like we're having leg of lamb. And for those of you who don't like leg of lamb, I made a roast, okay? And, and it's like, you know, five different vegetables and at least three salads, and, and it was just, that's, that was grandma. That was her, she had the spiritual gift of cooking. You know, that was her love language. And, and I remember one of the very first times that um, when my, I was dating my wife and I brought her to dinner at grandma's house. And uh, we're sitting around and grandma's bringing out all the food and all that. And, then, and I said to her, I said, grandma, where's the other salad? And my wife thought I was just being so rude. You know, what, what did we but she didn't know. Grandma always made at least three salads, and there was always one still in the refrigerator that she forgot. She just made so much, you know? So, and that was just, that was Grandma's house. That was her expression of love. And there was something about gathering around a table and sharing together in a meal that really is bonding. There, there's something about that that is an expression of love. And it's, it's incredible to me that when Jesus wanted to teach his disciples about the meaning and the purpose of his impending death, he used a meal. A very familiar meal, actually, one that they had celebrated growing up, and there, it was a very historic meal. It was the Passover meal. It was a remembrance of God's work in Israel's history, freeing them from their bondage and their slavery in Egypt. And Jesus takes that very familiar historic uh, meal, and he transforms it. And he gives it a new purpose and a new meaning. We've been going through um, the story all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And we're, we've been looking at how there, that we live in a world that is broken. That things are not the way they're supposed to be. That all the way back in Genesis, Adam and Eve broke God's law. And, and, and broke, as a result of that, broke that relationship. And that this unfolding story of redemption is God's redeeming work, putting back those broken pieces. And we get to the life of Jesus, and Jesus is the culmination of all of that. And this moment in his life, this last night that he spends with his followers, begins the final act of redemption. And, and, he, and it's written about in all of the Gospels, but we're going to look at it in Matthew's Gospel. If you want to take your Bibles... Turn to Matthew 26. Um, if you have your copy of the, the book, the story, um, it's at the middle of page 369 is where we're going to be starting. Matthew records it this way. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
I tell you, I will, not drink, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This morning, I want to talk to you about brokenness. Because I think in this act, during this meal, that Jesus took a historic event a historic remembrance, and he brought it right up into the present and actually spoke to the future, to you and to me. This meal that we are going to celebrate at the close of our time together this morning, the Lord's Supper or um, a communion or sometimes called the Eucharist, whatever it is called, it is more than just symbolic and representative. It is something for us to experience. And Jesus wanted to convey what was about to happen because he knew what was coming. And he wanted to convey to his disciples, and I think to us today, to not just celebrate a historic event, but to, to bring it into our own lives. And I think it, it, it addresses this whole issue of brokenness. And I think Jesus wants to say something to us through this meal. And I think one of the first things that he wants us to understand is that God is with us in our brokenness. We all go through times of breaking. I just... Show of hands this morning. How many of you have ever gone through a time of brokenness or you've been at your breaking point or just experienced something that just totally broke you down? Anybody else ever? Okay. Okay. So we can all relate to this. Um, and one of the most common questions that I get as a pastor when someone is in the middle of one of those kinds of breaking times in their lives is, where is God? Where is God in the middle of all this? When everything else is falling apart, where is God? And the answer to that question is, he's right there in the middle of it with you. The psalmist David wrote centuries beforehand, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And now Jesus takes that and he says, now in a way like never before, I want you to know I am with you in your brokenness. So during the meal, he takes bread. And when he took bread and he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to his disciples. And said, this is my body. Given for you. Take and eat. There's something significant in that breaking of the bread. Because it represents Jesus' brokenness on our behalf. See, Jesus came and entered this world. God entered this world in the person of Jesus Christ. And he took on and fully experienced the human condition. He saw brokenness and ministered to brokenness all through his ministry and life. As we've been going through this series and we've been looking at the life and ministry of Jesus, we've seen over and over again his interacting with broken people. He meets a woman at a well in Samaria who has had a string of broken marriages. And to this person who is broken and had broken relationships, Jesus says, I have something for you that will quench the deepest longing of your soul. That will quench that thirst that you have been looking for in so many other relationships. There's a living water available to you. He restores the broken mind of a man who is running naked through the tombs because he's been possessed by the evil one. And, they, and the, the, when Jesus casts out those demons and, and brings him to sanity and, and the people of the village come and they, they can't even recognize him because he's sitting there and he is now in his right mind. God has restored through Jesus a broken mind. He heals a young girl who has passed away from an illness 
and in front of the brokenhearted parents who've lost all hope. See, Jesus ministers to the broken, and he doesn't just observe it. He actually experienced it himself. You see it when he stands at the tomb of his good friend Lazarus, and he is brokenhearted, and he weeps at the death of a friend. You see it when he is in the garden, and, and he is praying, and he is at his breaking point praying, Father, if, if there's any way possible, let this pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. When he's arrested, he experiences the broken relationships as one of his closest followers betrays him, another denies him, and all of them abandon him. He knows brokenness. And on the cross, his bloody, broken body, as he hangs there offering up his life, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the very first time ever, he experiences a breaking of that relationship he has with the Father as he takes upon himself the sin and punishment for us all. See, Jesus knows brokenness. He knows your brokenness. I love the way Stephen Siemens put it. He fully entered into and experienced the human condition. Eyeball to eyeball, heart to heart, hurt to hurt. God then in the person of his son knows how we feel and fully understands us. His knowledge of our predicament is not distant, secondhand, or theoretical, but direct, firsthand, and personal. God is not a stoic, unmoved mover, but an empathetic fellow sufferer, a sufferer who understands God knows and understands the human condition. And because of the, human in, because of the incarnation, we now know that he knows. And I love that line. We know now that he knows. The writer of the Hebrews put it this way. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. In service to God. And in the same way that that first Passover, there was a lamb offered in sacrifice and the blood smeared over the doorpost so that when the death angel passed over and saw the blood, the firstborn of that family would be spared. And now the only begotten Son of God offers his life in sacrifice so that we could be spared. He knows our brokenness. This week has been kind of one of those weeks. They, they kind of happen sometimes around here in pastoral ministry. And it just felt like from day after day, each day this week, I was dealing with people in points of breaking in their lives. Friday, I had to do a funeral for a woman who was stabbed to death by her own son. What do you say to a family so broken by that? Dealt with another family where there's an addiction that's going on and it's just tearing the family apart. The relationships are all strained. Dealt with another man whose 19-year-old son was just committed in a mental hospital. Just brokenness, brokenness, brokenness all around. And there's something comforting. There's something, there's something just strengthening to know that God knows what that brokenness feels like. And that when we come to him with our brokenness, we're not alone. He's with us in the middle of all of it. But he's not only with us, he does something more. He takes our brokenness and he redeems it. He does something 
with our brokenness. He doesn't just come alongside of us. He actually redeems it. Now, that word redeem or redemption, that's a word that we don't use very much. And when we do, we kind of use it in a different way than it's understood in Scripture. Because when we use the word redeem, we talk about things like um, someone has like a few redeeming qualities. Like, yeah, he's a loud, obnoxious jerk. But he's got a good sense of humor, you know, that somehow that makes up for it, you know, that it's somehow somebody's something about them makes up for their failures or their flaws or whatever it might be. How many people watched game five of the National League Championship Series? Anybody? Yeah, okay, a few of you. Okay, in the third inning, Travis Ishikawa is playing left field and he blows a fairly routine fly ball and two runs score. And the Cardinals go ahead. And he is the goat of the game until the ninth inning. And in the ninth inning, bottom of the ninth, two out, two on. Travis Ishikawa hits a walk-off three-run home run, wins the game, and he is redeemed. (laughs) He did something to redeem himself, okay? That's the way that we use the word. But in the Bible, there's something much stronger than that. There's something very specific. In fact, in Scripture, you don't redeem yourself. The idea of redemption has to do with paying a ransom for buying back somebody. And it could be used um, sometimes for, for a family member who got themselves into such financial stress and such financial need that they could no longer support themselves. They would actually sell themselves off in slavery to another person. But a family member could come and redeem them. They could pay the price of their debt and buy them back into freedom. And that would be an act of redemption. Redemption wasn't something that you did to redeem yourself. Redemption had to be done by somebody else. And Jesus took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it. All of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Now, in the Passover meal, there were actually four different stages to it, or four different cups, at which point the wine would be poured and drunk. And each one of them was representing one of the promises that God gave to the nation of Israel when they were in their captivity. You find it in Exodus chapter 6. That God said, I will bring you out from under the yoke of Egyptians. And so as they drank the first cup, the host of the, of the meal would read that promise. As they drank from the first cup, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And then at the second cup later in the meal, I will, bring you, I will free you from being slaves to them. And then the third cup, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Most scholars believe it's at this point in the meal that he takes this cup... Because this is called the cup of redemption. And Jesus is taking this cup of redemption and he's saying, I will pay the price for you. I will buy your freedom and break that yoke of slavery to sin because you're worth it. See, that's what redemption said. I will pay the cost. I will pay the price because you're worth it. Jesus is taking that analogy and applying it to what he is about to do. Now, sometimes people ask the question, well, why pay a ransom? 
why, why, why does there have to be a death? Why does there have to be a death involved? When, couldn't God just forgive? I mean, if he's a loving God, why can't he just forgive? You know, let bygones be bygones. It's all okay. It's all good. Everybody's forgiven. But what you don't understand when you say that is forgiveness always has a cost. There is always a price to forgiveness. And that price is borne by somebody. If I were to loan you my car and you went out and had an accident and actually that accident was your fault. So now my insurance company will not pay because you were the one at fault. And now my car is totaled and I've got no car left. Now I've got a choice, okay? I can sue you and make you pay me back for the loss of my car. Or I could choose to forgive you. But somebody's still got to pay for a new car. (laughs) See, there's always a cost involved in forgiveness. When someone forgives another person, what they are choosing to do is no longer make them pay that debt. They are choosing to absorb the debt themselves. And that's what Jesus is doing on the cross when he says, I am pouring out my blood. I am pouring out my life for the forgiveness of sin. He said, I am paying the price that is demanded by your sin so that you could be forgiven. Someone cared enough to pay that price. Prophet Isaiah put it this way. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus absorbed the cost in himself. And he said, I'll pay that price because you are worth it. But there's something more. He's with us in our brokenness, and yes, he redeems that brokenness, but he does something more with our brokenness. He takes and uses our brokenness to now transform us. And this is something only God can do. That he can take the hurts and the brokenness of our lives and actually transform them to good. I said at the beginning of this message that there is great significance, I think, in the sharing of a meal. That when Jesus wants his disciples to understand what's about to happen in his death, he wants them to understand something, but he doesn't give them a theological treatise. He doesn't give an exposition throughout the scriptures. What he gives them is a meal. And I think there is something very meaningful and significant about that because there are two types of knowledge. There are two types of learning and understanding. There is informational knowledge, which is mostly transmitted by teaching and by words and explanation. But there is another type of knowledge that doesn't come through with words. It's the experiential knowledge. And it's the difference between the college student who comes out of college, gets into his first job thinking they know all the answers, working alongside someone who has been in the business for a long time and know how it really works. And Jesus doesn't want to just transfer information. What he wants is for them to experience the reality. So he says, take and eat. This is my body. Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. What he's saying is take it in fully. Absorb it. Taste it. Feel it. Know it. Let it nourish you. Let it become a part of you. Let it become you. 
And in the same way that we eat a meal and it is broken down by our bodies into nutrients that now become who we are and a part of who we are. He's saying, I want that to come and nourish your soul in that very same way. Because this isn't something we just talk about. This is about something that we take fully into our lives. And what God does is he takes that and he actually reforms it and uses it to bring about good. It's what Paul talked about when he wrote to the Roman church when he said, we know in all things God works for the good for those who love him, called according to his purposes. That God takes those broken moments, those broken pieces, those broken experiences in our lives, and he actually turns them around in such a way that they become something good and beautiful and meaningful as an expression of his grace to others. We have a couple of ministries around here that, that, that really speak to that. One of them is called Grief Share. And, and it's a support group and a, and, and, a, and a comforting group for people who have gone through the loss of a loved one. And one of the people that helped lead, one of the persons that helped lead that is someone who went through a very, very difficult loss of a family member. Just a horrendous, terrible loss. And she has taken her experiences and her grief and her, her, her broken experience and now turned it around to be able to help others who are in that point of grief. We have a recovery ministry around here. It is led by someone who is a recovering alcoholic who has taken that broken part of his life, turned it around, and now is using it to help others find freedom from their alcoholism. See, that's what God does. He takes those broken parts of our life, those broken experiences, and he transforms us and transforms them in such a way that they now can be used to minister and care for and reach out to others. It's what Paul wrote about when he said, The God of all comfort comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So Jesus invites us to this table. And he says, I am with you in your brokenness, in your failure, in your stumblings. I'm with you. Made a promise, I'll never leave you. And not only am I with you, but I am redeeming you through this. You're worth the price, and I paid it for you. And I will take those broken pieces of your life, and I will transform them in such a way that they become something beautiful and meaningful and helpful to those around you. Come. Eat, drink, taste, absorb. It's for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.